G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. If we're reminded of something all too important in a COVID year with international posturing and racial unrest, political turmoil everywhere, we're reminded just how fragile and unstable our civilization may be. You can feel it everywhere as we're constantly reminded of a rising mental health crisis. Around the world, slavery, terrorism, censorship and superstition are back. The US election reminds us just how modern developments in politics are so polarising. And all of the affluence in the world can't seem to quench our thirst for meaning and purpose. Well, our special guest today says maybe there is hope if we know where to look. In a timely new book, Kurt Mulberg shows how profoundly the West has been shaped by the life and teachings of Jesus. From our democratic freedoms and our pursuit of reason and science to our belief that every life is precious. His new book is called Cross and Culture. Can Jesus Save the West? Kurt Mulberg, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Kurt, uh, it's a book that could have been written at any time in the recent era, but its release coincides with a very crazy year. Does that make your message all the more relevant? Yeah, I think you've probably summed it up there, Neil. I have probably been working on this book around about two years, even before that the seed was there. And as I wrote this year, I realised just how increasingly relevant this book became as I wrote it. In fact, at times I was writing it this year, feeling like I was racing the clock in terms of where our civilization is going. Uh, so uh, publishing in December this year felt like an, an incredibly timely moment and perhaps a uh, God incidence, as I like to call them, um, just with all the crazy events that have been going on politically and in terms of the virus and the, uh, I guess, just so many questions that all of us have about where the West is headed. Let me just, for listeners' benefit, just to describe the sorts of things you do day to day, and you're connected with the Canberra Declaration. In fact, if anyone is subscribing to or going to the Canberra Declaration sites, uh, following any of the releases that they have, uh, you're the guy who's actually on the keyboard uh, writing a lot of that. Give us your uh, an idea what you do day to day with the Canberra Declaration. Yeah, that's right, Neil. I work with Warwick Marsh and uh, the team at the Canberra Declaration. We send an email out roughly once a week and often we'll highlight different issues that are going on culturally and politically. We encourage people to be praying and also to be taking action in practical ways. And so that's uh, fairly big of my my week-to-week and day-to-day role. I'm the features editor and uh, research uh, guy at the Canberra Declaration. And I do a bit of other freelance writing besides that. This year has obviously been taken up a fair bit with the book that I've been writing. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my mainstay. Uh, I've got a background as a youth and young adults pastor and I studied architecture originally. I was a primary school teacher, so I've sort of had a finger in a few different pies. Uh, but God's really led me towards writing over the last few years. And uh, this book is kind of the uh, the current, uh, I guess, manifestation of that. So. 
Uh, you're certainly multi-talented, and I might say, uh, my own perspective, a very clear thinker and a clear writer as you put in some context as to what's going on here in Australia and around the world. In fact, uh, you start your book by talking about the extent of unrest in the West. And so doing the things that you do with Canberra Declaration, you've got your finger on the pulse and you're monitoring developments as they happen. And things are getting significantly worse when we talk about the unrest, Kurt. That's right, yes. And it's interesting because on the one hand, I guess you could say we are becoming a lot better in certain ways. We've got a lot of uh, technology that's solving problems. We have uh, incredible affluence like the world's never seen. So in many ways, our civilization seems to be improving. But then under the surface, there's also this sense of where are we actually headed? And even though in a maybe material sense and an affluent sense, we, we seem to be getting better at a personal level and in terms of cultural uh, maybe strife and tension and those sorts of issues, I think there's a fair bit of evidence that things are getting worse and I, I feel like a lot of Westerners have sensed that particularly in the events of 2020. And one of the ways I think in particular that we can notice that is that there's a really big conversation going on at the moment around is Western civilization even good? Is it good? Is it evil? And the fact that we're even asking that question to me says that there is incredible unrest in the West. We're really questioning our own civilization. So that's, yeah, that's really kind of where I launch off with the book, asking those questions. If you want to attack Western civilization, you form a narrative that says Western civilization is evil. And of course, uh, a little bit of even shallow exploration of Western civilization has given to us a, a peace loving, uh, prosperity oriented society. So uh, you explore a lot of this sort of thing in your book, but, uh, but sometimes we can be hard on ourselves or quick to believe people who are critics of Western civilization because we appreciate that there are Christian values there. Uh, what are your thoughts about people and the way they, they hear things about uh, you know what happened with our colonial past and there's some evils and things like that in there? And of course, there are some uh, dreadful dark times, but uh, by and large, people will think of Western civilization as having brought good things. But that's not the narrative that's coming as an attack, is it? That's right. Really, there are two quite competing narratives at the moment that we're hearing. One, of course, is that the, the West is evil and still sinful, still culpable for its colonial past and the sins of our, you know, I guess, centuries ago. And we certainly shouldn't gloss over those issues and, and those events that happened. And in fact, that's something I do address in the book. Um, but there is, I guess, if we're to continue dredging up the events of the past and, and almost thinking as though that's somehow still relevant in terms of how we're operating today. That's, I think, a very unhelpful lens through which to view the West, because as you've mentioned, and as I go into detail in the book, Western civilization has also produced incredible, incredible good, not only for ourselves, but for the rest of the world. When you think about democracy itself, when you think about science and education, healthcare, uh, medicine, uh, compassion, these, these things, it's not as though they were non-existent elsewhere. But the West has really led the way in, in so many ways in these different areas and exported a lot of that to the rest of the world that now benefits. And so I think, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting to see these two narratives kind of at loggerheads at the moment. But I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we have to realise that even though there have been bad chapters in our past, we are actually, you know, as a civilization, there's been a lot that we've been able to give the world. And in fact, one thing I would insert as well is that the idea of critiquing our own civilization and thinking about 
you know, are we bad? Are we evil? That is actually a very Christian thing to do. So even Westerners who think in those terms are actually still acting fairly Christianly, even if they don't realise it. Yes, there is something Christian about being able to admit mistakes of the past and to correct those things. And I suspect that there are some other ideological positions that actually don't have that same self-correction focus. You've you've recognised that there have been cracks that have been appearing for some time and uh, really loved the way that you... Uh, were able to draw on the wisdom of a lot of thinkers in this area. One of those that you drew on is uh, from Philip Reif, uh, who talked about the three stages of civilization and uh, the first world cultures. He argued that there was a you know making sense of life through myths. The second world cultures are different. They find unity in the idea of a single transcendent God who rules over creation and to whom we're all accountable. And then there's a third world radically contrasted to the other two, introducing an aggressive break from the past and uh, and rebelling against their roots. Where do you think we are in Australia? If you if you take that little model of of three different worlds, where do you mm. think we are in Australia, Kurt? Well, yeah, I, I find those categories from Philip Reef very helpful. Uh, so, first, second, and third world. As you said, first world cultures are very much the, the the ancient past animistic cultures that tend to see the supernatural everywhere. Second world cultures. Um, probably the best examples of this are Judaism, uh, Christianity and Islam and the cultures they produced perhaps centuries ago. And the third world being this sense of we're deconstructing ourselves, we're analysing ourselves, we're pulling it all apart. I really do think, uh, based on the things we've already shared and, uh, and I go into this in my book, that we are in that third world moment, that we are in this place of really deconstructing everything and questioning everything. And one of the points that Philip Reef actually makes is that cultures that have done that haven't tended to last very long. So it is a bit of a scary uh, precipice that we're approaching, uh, I think, in our present moment in the West. And uh, we're foolish to avoid those sorts of models that uh, great thinkers come up with as they describe context in the world, and we might put ourselves into that. And as you say, if we detach ourselves from the idea of a transcendent God who rules over creation and to whom we are accountable, then we find ourselves in this third world uh, situation uh, where we rebel against our roots and then we're off, uh, you know, we've let go of the anchor. We're drifting on the ocean. I'm asking listeners today, Kurt, to respond to a Facebook question. I do one of these each day. It's uh, often a stimulating question, gets people thinking, and uh, sometimes, you know, might be getting people thinking the wrong way. Who knows? But it does certainly stimulate some debate and conversation between listeners. The question I'm asking today on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash vision radio, is do you think that once Christian nations and with reference to the West, are in the process of a deconstruction. Now, this is an interesting one, and I'll get your thoughts even early in our conversation here, Kurt, because, you know, when we talked about that idea of a third world, uh, you've got a deconstruction happening, because ever since Australia's founding, we've been in a construction phase. And so Mm. have we reached our peak uh, if we let go of the ball now, are we the ones who are guilty of, of dropping the ball at crucial moments? What are your thoughts about the idea of are we in deconstruction in Australia? I think we are. When we look around the world today uh, and we, we think of this concept of the West, obviously we're talking about 
Western Europe, we're talking about North America, we're talking about a number of other nations, and Australia is one of those. And I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of the cultural trends that we see happening in the West often start either in Europe or in North America. And I think this year has been a pretty obvious uh, reminder of that from the events that have been happening in the United States. So I do go into some of the events in the United States But I also recognise that in Australia, perhaps we're not quite there on some of these issues. And so perhaps what's facing Americans right now is not quite yet what Australians are facing. So perhaps we're not on the cutting edge of these issues of this deconstruction that we're speaking about. But I can certainly see signs of it. Um, for example, the, uh, the protests, the racial protests that, that began in America, they did end up spilling into other countries and Australia was, was one of those. And so the trends that we're seeing start over there, we're also seeing here and that's always been true. So, yeah, I really do believe we are in a, a self-deconstruction mode. There's a great quote that I quote from journalist, Australian journalist, uh, uh, now Greg Sheridan, and he says, the fashion these days is not to study Western civilization, but to attack it. And I think he's spot on. Mm. Okay. Your new book is called Cross and Culture. Can Jesus save the West? Uh, let me ask you about this before we go to a bit of a break. But the idea of rediscovering Jesus, is this an answer to our crisis? Because we might unpack this a little bit. But uh, what are your thoughts around Jesus in the mix? Well, absolutely. I think the answer to that question is yes. And so perhaps uh, I've given away the uh, you know the message of my book, but obviously I go into a lot of detail as to why this is the case. Before I get to the answer of uh, is Jesus the answer and can he save the West, it's also worth realizing that even though Western culture began with a very strong Christian influence, we've actually spent around about the last thousand years slowly moving away from belief in, in God. And some of those roots, it's quite amazing to think they started a thousand years ago. We particularly saw that accelerate during the Enlightenment period and the Renaissance and the 1960s as well with the sort of sex, drugs and rock and roll culture. Uh, but what I do is I actually trace how we've sort of been saying farewell to God over the last thousand years and then the results of that. But I really do believe Jesus is the answer to these issues because uh, if if we you know, recognize that Jesus has had such a strong influence on all of these different aspects of our civilization, and we've, as a result of walking away from him and belief in God, we've seen things start to unravel, then I really do believe that he is the answer to uh, our crisis and to all of the, these issues that we're facing right now. Plenty to come in our conversation. We're going to take a break, but we'll come back and we'll talk about this idea of saying farewell to God and what the consequences of that might lead to. It is a fascinating conversation. Our special guest is Kurt Mulberg. Kurt is the author of a new book. It's only just out. It's called Cross and Culture. Can Jesus Save the West? Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our special guest is Kurt Mulberg. We are talking about his new book called Cross and Culture, Can Jesus Save the West? So if you'd like to join in our conversation, you might have a question, you might have a comment, you might have a critique. Uh, you can call us on 1-800-316-316. Our talkback line is open. You can respond to our Facebook question today that says, Do you think that once Christian nations, the West, are in the process of a deconstruction? Important questions to be asking because you've got to be able to say, well, what are the answers to these things? And uh, Kurt, just to say, even though when we say 
Jesus is the answer. Sometimes people use that as a very flippant little throwaway line. You know, don't worry, Jesus is the answer. But you've got to be able to articulate some things around that to say, well, this is why Jesus is the answer. And you've taken time to think through those things. We'll come back to some of that, why Jesus is the answer, as our conversation continues to unfold. But I wanted to just touch on what you mentioned just before we went to a break, and this idea of farewelling God or saying goodbye to God. This is something that I know many listeners will uh, will be able to uh, think of their own experience of that or how that might be happening in a society. What have you touched on in a chapter that you've devoted to the idea of people saying farewell to God? Yeah, so thanks, Neil. I believe that even though there aren't all that many people who would be confidently atheists today, uh, that tends to be a fairly small uh, uh, sorry, a small percentage of our population that would embrace atheism, around sort of 2 to 5%, something along those lines. There is still a sense that we have put God at a distance. So when I talk about farewelling God or saying goodbye to God, I'm not necessarily suggesting that everyone has become an atheist in the last century or so. Rather, that obviously atheism has grown, but there's also been a sense among everyday Westerners that God is a bit further away and a bit harder to believe in. And I think today we would probably be surprised, more likely surprised as Westerners, to hear that someone really believes in God and lives out their life according to that belief. Whereas if you wound the clock back, say, a thousand years, it would be very surprising to meet someone who didn't believe in God. And so really what I'm trying to do in this chapter is, is to trace the reasons why a thousand years ago it was very normal to believe in God and, and really quite unusual not to, and why that shift has, has taken place over this last millennium, why it is that today it is actually harder to believe in God, and it seems to be a bit more unusual to be committed to belief in God these days. Uh, this is because of the idea that as technology and knowledge increases, somehow or other people will need God less. But there is a certain sense, isn't there, that even though technology has been increasing, we're recognising that there's actually a a higher need for God than there even was before. That's right. There is, as we as we push God away, and that might not necessarily be a conscious thing that we do, but as God seems to fade off into the distance as, of, as our immediate needs are being fulfilled in terms of science and medicine and technology and affluence, what we realize when, when we do that over the progression of time, that might be in a lifetime or it might be over you know, a period of a century or more in a country like Australia, what we realize is that there's actually a, a place in our soul that opens up uh, because we were made for God. As a Christian, that's really what I believe, we were made for God. And so as we see him push to the background or we forget about him or we leave him behind in certain ways, there is this need for meaning, this need for purpose, a need for hope. Uh, The scriptures say that God has put eternity in our hearts. And when the scriptures say that, it's not just talking about Christians, it's talking about everyone. All people were made with a need for God. And so in the modern world, we might have put God to the side, we might have left him behind in the rush of progress, uh, or so we think we have. But as we do, we actually have this need arise in our soul for meaning and for purpose. And so that's something I drill deep in uh, as as I look at that theme of goodbye God. 
It's the idea that if you say goodbye to God, uh, you do away with that thing that makes you feel right and your community function well. Because if you detach yourself from those things, uh, then things will not go well and your community will not function in a, a way that people will get on with each other and that there can be a sense of uh, prospering and uh, of goodness and uh, of value for people. We'll talk some more about those sorts of things. Taking calls on one 316 to join in our conversation. Let's take a call. Jonathan is in Perth in WA. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome back to 2020. Yes. Thank you, Neil. Jonathan, what are you your know, thoughts? Yeah, you know, I always like the people to read from Second Timothy chapter 3, where it says, in the last day it will be very terrible, and I try to paraphrase it. He said uh, that they will be evil, people will be love of them, they said they will be boastful, they will be proud, they will be arrogant, disobedient to parents, they had a form of godliness, but they will deny the power. These are the days we're in. People are lukewarm today. They forget about the power of God. They had a form of godliness. And if those who are not Christian, according to what you are saying, God put, because we were created in the image of God, so yes, we have the nature of God. We know there is God, but we deny Him just to please ourselves. These are the days we're in, but we need to go back to the law as ah. a Christian. Jonathan, great thoughts there and reference to Second Timothy chapter 3. The days are evil. People are boastful, proud and arrogant, a form of godliness but denying the power. Uh, these are the sorts of things that we may be seeing if you say goodbye to God, if you detach yourself from God. Uh, farewell, God. Uh, this is the things uh, that we want to get rid of, uh, godliness. And then what is the, uh, the consequence of that? What are your thoughts for Jonathan here, Kurt? Yeah, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts, Jonathan. I'm, I'm very much in agreement. You, you touched on two things that I, I really like. First, you mentioned that we're made in the image of God. And that is such a key idea. That is something that I do come back to again and again in uh, cross and culture. The idea that we as humans are made in God's image is unique to Christianity. It's uh, an incredibly foundational part, not only of Christianity, but also of Western society. And so many things have flowed from that, including human rights and our, just our belief that everyone, doesn't matter whether they're big or small, young or old, elderly or unborn, they're all valued, they're all precious. And that's a really important uh, theme that Jonathan has picked up on. He's also talked about what societies look like and what individuals look like when we walk away from belief in God. And the reference to Second Timothy there, of course, with uh, basically with immorality starting to flourish. And this is another really important point to make, that as we farewell God, as we say goodbye to God, we also say goodbye to objective morality. Now, that's not to say that people who don't believe in God are automatically then sinful or evil more so than other people. What it means is if we don't have a transcendent creator who decides what is right and what is wrong and what is the best way for humans to live, then we don't actually have a set of standards by which we need to measure up to. And we've definitely seen evidence of that in even in the last hundred years of history. Some of the worst empires that we saw in the 20th century uh, were and, and that resulted in huge amounts of bloodshed and, and mass murder and genocide. They were very much based on atheistic worldviews. Doesn't mean everyone who believed them or carried out those acts were atheists themselves, but it was a very atheist worldview. It was a worldview in which God didn't exist or certainly wasn't relevant. 
And when we say goodbye to God in that sort of way, we also say goodbye to objective morality. And that's why incredibly terrible things can come from our departing from belief in God. Jonathan, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. You might have your own thought to offer. You can also respond to our Facebook question today that says, do you think that once Christian nations, the West, are in the process of a deconstruction? There's been some responses. Cody says, and I'll get your thoughts here, Kurt. Cody says, America is losing its freedoms. I think it's falling apart slowly. There have been some improvements, though, with our freedoms, and I want to enjoy those freedoms as long as we have it. I think the Antichrist system is tugging here. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts there, because that's a biblical perspective as well. The idea of an Antichrist system, there's even this sort of, you know, uh, eschatological ideas of end times in those thoughts. Any thoughts for Mm. someone like Cody and those things that he talks about? Yes, well, in terms of the end times, it it can be tempting to get into the nitty-gritty of predicting when Jesus might come back and our events of this year really driving us in that direction. And um, to be honest, it it can be very hard to work that out because for 2,000 years the church has wondered when is Jesus coming back and are the current signs pointing to that. And, uh, I, I mean, I believe that we are living in the last days and... Um, I guess we, we have been living in the last days since Jesus uh, ascended and went to heaven. Uh, but, but there are certainly aspects of this Antichrist spirit that we are seeing around us. And really, the scriptures do say that we are living in a world in which uh, the enemy has a lot of power over the events that, that are going on. And any kingdom that is not built on God is going to be in, in opposition to him. And so there is obviously this spirit of Antichrist in any culture that, that walks away from God. So that's certainly something to wrestle with. But what Cody mentioned about liberties and freedoms, I share those same concerns. While we shouldn't be too, uh, I guess, hyperventilating or exaggerating about the sorts of freedoms um, being eroded that we're seeing, it is still important to realise that freedoms we once enjoyed are under threat. And censorship, cancel culture... Those are ideas that have really risen to the surface over the last year or two. And I think they are evidence that we are slowly removing some of those freedoms. And the reality is freedom and safety are always in tension with each other. You can have a very, very safe uh, society or a safe place to live or a safe life. And really the safest uh, life you could ever imagine is probably solitary confinement in a prison. Of course, that's very safe, but it's not very free. And so freedom, if you're going to have uh, absolute freedom, then obviously you can also have a lot of bad things happen too. But Kurt, let me just uh, just say there's been a, a lots of endorsements uh, from leaders, Christian leaders all over the nation, uh, who are saying how good your book is. Uh, who is it that, uh, that has been saying nice things about the things that you've written? Yes, Neil, I've been very blessed to have a number of I guess you could say high-profile Christians endorse uh, the book that I've just published. Uh, so I guess among some of the, maybe the wa- more well-known names are Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby. A lot of people will be familiar with Martin from his The Truth of It uh, videos on Facebook. Um, so he has warmly endorsed the book. Uh, also, Margaret Court, the famous uh, world tennis champion who is now a pastor in Perth. Um, she also provided an endorsement. Uh, John Dixon actually shared the book on his Facebook page last night, and I was very blessed to have an endorsement from him. 
there's also uh, Indigenous elders, Peter Walker. People might be familiar with Peter Walker, an Indigenous elder who has also endorsed the book. Kevin Donnelly from the Australian Catholic University. Um, I won't bore people with a really long list of names, but I have been very blessed to have around 40 Australian Christian leaders uh, provide their commendation. And you've got a who's who in there, and lots of those names have been guests on this very radio program and uh, sharing their thoughts on what's happening. So to get their endorsements, uh, very, very good uh, for your book. Let's continue. We'll take a call or two and see how we go from there. Let's hear from Graham in Burnie in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Uh, you know, Matthew 24 speaks of these times and about uh, in our own nations that we can be actually jailed for speaking the truth uh, about God. And uh, the other thing, our governments, the Western world governments have rejected God, which can, comes right into Second uh, Thessalonians, which talks about a falling away, rejecting God. This is setting the path up for the that great beast power which is going to put itself above everything that is called God, and it is God. And our nations, we've got the Pope even uh, condoling homosexual couples. This will be a railroad for that deception that's going to come on the world. We're going to have a... a Graham, interesting thoughts in that. Uh, let's let's just uh, get a thought or two here from Kurt. Kurt, your thoughts for Graham? Yeah, so Graham's definitely touching on some uh, important issues that we're seeing. Um, there is this sense, I think particularly this year, of a time of clarification, a time of uh, maybe not dividing the sheep and goats literally, but I have noticed that those who follow Jesus have tended to either uh, go in one of two directions, either follow him more wholeheartedly or maybe start to waver in their faith. I feel like this year God has been doing a really interesting work in the church, clarifying that. Uh, the Bible does talk about a great falling away, and perhaps we're seeing the start of that. I, I'm no prophet, and I work for a non-profit organization, so <laughs> I don't don't have a crystal ball for the future. But we are certainly seeing some some of the evidence evidences of this as our civilization continues to walk away from God. Okay, Graham from Bernie, thank you so much for your call. Let's take another call. Chris is in Melbourne. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Um, good day, Neil. And yes, yeah, um, I, I just uh, sort of concur with the previous caller that uh, if we uh, believe in prophecy, we should not be alarmed because the world is heading to the Antichrist, uh, uh, you know, reign. And so we, we have to expect these Antichrist um, sort of, uh, you know, problems to arise. And it's been, like, promoted, you know, straight from the top, the UN, and they're promoting it in countries through the education department and the, and the mainstream media, MSM, which is also the mainly satanic media. So, you know, we shouldn't be surprised. Chris, uh, interesting thoughts in that. Uh, a thought from Kurt for Chris. Yeah, Chris, I, I do agree with you. I think one of the things that I've noticed, I think a lot of Christians particularly have noticed, and not just Christians, uh, everyday Westerners as well, who maybe think a little bit differently to what the mainstream is saying, there is this sense that a lot of power and influence has been consolidated by a particular worldview. And that goes for education, it goes for the media, it goes for um, a lot of, I guess, political parties. Uh, and it is getting increasingly hard to speak up and to have a different point of view. And, of course, we shouldn't, I guess we shouldn't go too far in, in thinking that the Antichrist is just around the corner, that might be the case, or 
you know, we shouldn't go too far in terms of thinking the world is going to end tomorrow or everything is absolutely terrible. As I mentioned in the book, there is a lot of incredible good still going on in the world. And there is, uh, we, we still do live in the freest and the best societies that history has produced. But what we are starting to see is that we are, we are getting closer and closer towards a point where, you know, we are beginning to lose our freedoms. We are beginning to find it more difficult to speak up and to live as a Christian. And, uh, and also, you know, I go into this in the book, there are Christians who have started to face the consequences of this. And there are also non-Christians uh, who've, who've had to face the same thing, not because of their faith, but simply because they have a different point of view to the one that is increasingly, you know, the sanctioned opinion that, you know, these, I guess, institutions and leaders uh, have. So... Chris, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to have your say. 1-800-316-316. Kurt, we've had the benefit, haven't we, growing up in a nation which has experienced the freedoms that have come from those Christian foundations. And if you detach those Christian foundations from the present and move away from those, those freedoms disappear. You've, in fact, taken a whole chapter in your book to talk about what you call a dawn of uncivilization. And uh, we're talking about civilization here and those things that I guess have been shaped by those Christian foundations. But uncivilization looks very different to what we've grown up with. That's right. When we look at the ancient world, and really that's the world from which our current modern world emerged from, there are many parallels to what we saw back then, thousands of years ago, and some of the trends that we are starting to see uh, more and more common today. So I pick up on a few of these threads in that chapter, The Dawn of Uncivilization. Um, One example of that is superstition. Superstition has always been around. Even in the modern era, it, it has been around, but it seems to be undergoing something of a revolution. Uh, today, to be a Christian is not particularly popular. It's not going to get you any accolades. It's not going to get you much praise. But if you are following some sort of Eastern religion or exploring a new spiritual path, in fact, if you've just kind of made up your own beliefs, uh, even if they're very superstitious, that tends to come with a badge of honor, whereas uh, you know, belief in, uh, in Christianity tends to land you in a fair bit of trouble. So I go into this theme of the rise of superstition. It's really interesting to see that come back full force. You also devote some time to talk about Christianity as a crime, and there are some things that are happening right now, and as people are reflecting on things that are developing in the state of Victoria, uh, with some legislation there that will make it criminal to even pray for someone who has uh, those uh, leanings towards, uh, you know, if someone comes to you and they have some unwanted same-sex attraction as a Christian, if you pray, that's actually going to be punishable by jail time. The idea that Christianity is a crime seems to be developing on a number of different dimensions here. You've given some time to thinking through that issue. That's right. The bill uh, you're talking about in Melbourne uh, was introduced after my book went to publishing, but of course it would have been a very good example for me to point to. Uh, It's a very terrible bill that's being proposed there. And perhaps the, the worst we've seen, it would certainly be the worst we've seen in Australia, though it hasn't been passed yet. But we have seen this trend developing for a good number of years. It is increasingly uh, difficult to maintain biblical Christian belief. It's interesting that there are a lot of people today who would say the separation of church and state is very important. The church's voice should be quieter so that we can have political discussions free of that. 
what in fact we're seeing with this bill and, and other trends like it is in fact uh, the state is in fact starting to tell the churches and Christians what they can and cannot believe. And that's, a, that's pretty scary territory for us to be heading into. And one thing I would say is we need to be careful not to uh, make, have too extreme a perspective on these things. Of course, in Australia, there is still incredible freedom for us as Christians to practice our faith, particularly if we compare that with the rest of the world. But we shouldn't be ignorant of the trends and the direction in which they're heading. It does tend to be Christians mostly who have suffered from uh, these, these changing laws, laws that really have only been being introduced for the last couple of years now. But it is becoming increasingly difficult to maintain a Christian position, particularly on issues around sex, sexuality, gender and marriage. Kurt, let's turn our attention to some of the positives, some of the takeaways that we might be able to glean and those reasons why people will that will be wanting to get a hold of your book. Now, the book is called Cross and Culture, Can Jesus Save the West? Now, when you say, can Jesus save the West, I suspect what you mean by that, and I'll get your clarity here, is that can Jesus use his people to save the West? What are your thoughts uh, when you've, you've asked that question in the title of your book? And uh, when we talk about the way that civilization is going, that our own civilization here in Australia is moving, what is it that Christians are called to be and to do if Jesus is going to save the West? That's a great question, Neil. Really, Jesus' command for us to be salt and light, I think, is at the very heart of this issue. He has called us to be salt and light. He's called us to be a fantastic influence on the culture around us, and to be living from our faith, to be living that out in real ways. And that goes for what we believe and our convictions and standing by those. And it also means our love and our practical help and our charity. And I know that in the modern world, it can be a little difficult to picture what a transformed civilization might look like because Christians tend to be a little bit sidelined these days. The idea that we might somehow cause a revolution, it can be a little hard to imagine. And so something that I do in the book is just trace some of the revivals of the past, some of the reformations, not just the reformation, but there have been incredible moves uh, of God in cultures in the past, in the West particularly. So I look at people like Wilberforce, I uh, just touch on you know people like William Carey, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, there are amazing, inspiring people from our past who have really made a difference for Jesus because they have been salt and light, because they've not just loved and been compassionate and caring, but because they have stood by their strong conviction of belief in God and belief in the Scriptures, regardless of what the surrounding culture says. And I really believe those examples from the past are not just to inspire us, they're actually to help point the way as to how Christians today can be a good influence and how Jesus can save the West through his people today. The people have to be countercultural, and for that to happen, something's got to happen in the heart too. And it comes down to individuals here, and then how that all uh, moves through a community. And and I guess we're talking here about how a Christian gets revived and understands these things, so that these ideas can continue to influence the way society develops. What are your thoughts about the idea of personal renewal as part of cultural renewal? Absolutely, Neil is really key because if we are to leave that to the side and forget about personal transformation and personal renewal, all we would do as Christians is create a new tribe 
a new rival group that's going to butt heads with all the other groups. And that's not what we want to be on about. That is not what Jesus came to do. He actually came to save souls and to transform individual lives. And it's only really out of a personal relationship with him that Christians can hope to have a real effect on the culture around us. Uh, Jesus himself said in, in, sorry, in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches, and without me, you can do nothing. And so I, I reference that scripture too, because it is so important that each of us has a personal relationship with Jesus and a personal connection to him. Because if we don't have that, we don't have, and if we don't have the Holy Spirit renewing our hearts and bringing about love and uh, transformation inside of us, then we do risk becoming just another loud tribe that's out there fighting all the other tribes who disagree on things. So Jesus wants his people to be different to that. He wants the church to be uh, a counterculture for the common good. That's a Timothy Keller quote, but it's one that I love. He calls us to be a counterculture for the common good, and that starts with hearts transformed. Hearts transformed. Now, take this just a little deeper here for us, Kurt, because some people will think hearts transformed means I said a little prayer and now everything's different. Uh, Because when you talk about hearts transformed, I suspect you're talking about even an adjustment of thinking. We're talking like a Romans chapter 12 type of uh, change that has to happen in the thinking about how we think about God and how we think about life as we experience it. What are your thoughts about taking that a little deeper and how you've got to actually prepare for that uh, cultural renewal to happen? Yeah, absolutely. So really, God does want to transform our hearts. And it's not just an emotional experience when that takes place. What happens when we repent of our sins, when we turn towards God in faith, we're actually putting our past life behind us. And that, that means all sorts of different things, but at the very core of that is the idea that now Jesus is Lord. Before we follow Jesus as Lord, there are so many other things in our lives that are Lord, whether that's our career or whether that's our pursuit of comfort, uh, whether that, it can even be, and often it's actually good things that we put as number one. It could be family, it can be security. There are so many things that we put first before God. Uh, and at the very core of that is self. We tend to put self before God, before everything. And when we come to follow Jesus, what we're saying is, I am no longer my own Lord. And my priorities are all down the list now. And Jesus is at the very top of those. So loving him and following Jesus and being committed to Jesus is absolutely the driving force of our life. And our connection to God through Jesus is what absolutely changes our lives. And so that's that's what I mean when I say hearts transformed. Let me put it to you this way, Kurt. Uh, the horse has bolted. Uh, the church leaders now scrambling to contain what is described as a sexual revolution, a cultural revolution that's overtaking us. And we might even come back to some of that terminology that we've talked about a little earlier, the birth of uncivilization. There's a, a whole lot of stuff that is changing far more dramatically than anyone ever thought of when they cast their vote in the marriage uh, vote just a few years ago. But this idea of thinking differently really comes down to how we think rightly. And uh, And again, here we've got butting heads with others as to who's thinking the right way. We've got to be able to discern how we actually think right. What are your thoughts on getting things right so that we can hold firmly to something that isn't going to be changing with the next wind? Uh, give us some ideas here about your thoughts on right thinking. 
I, I believe right thinking is so important to the Christian life. I, for a very long time, I've been passionate about apologetics. I've been passionate about Christian history and really trying to understand my faith and be able to reason about my faith. And I, I definitely know that not everyone is wired the same way as me. There are people, I guess we could be a little bit simplistic and say there are Christians who tend to live more from the heart and Christians who tend to live more from the head. And I would say, actually, it's unhelpful to think in, in divided terms like that. God really wants us to be living from both the heart and the head. And so I think, I guess I've encountered a lot of Christians through the years, particularly as a pastor, people who would, young people who would come to church for a little while that have a, sort of an emotional experience, but as their life got hard or they faced challenges, they would actually often quickly fall away from that faith. And it's because they had a, an emotional experience, you could say a heart experience, but they didn't have a very strong foundation of thinking about their faith. So that's something I'm very passionate about, is helping Christians to have strong, I guess, intellectual foundations, apologetic foundations for what they believe. That's not to say the heart doesn't matter and emotions should be disengaged. I think that's absolutely important too. And whether you want one first and, and then the other or reverse it, it doesn't really matter because I think Jesus talks about both the head and the heart a lot in his teachings. So as Christians, it's important, so important for us to have both of those and just because we're running out of time there's got to be something so so important about making a final point here uh, that it's more than just thinking right more than just making a few adjustments uh, more than just even uh, recognizing that Jesus was a great teacher and a great example from history but it's his promise to never leave us nor forsake us, to give his Holy Spirit to empower us for the task of taking the kingdom of God and spreading the kingdom of God around the world. What are your thoughts for the idea of relying on that empowering Jesus, what he has promised for us, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, so that we're not doing these things on our own? So if we set ourselves on the task of bringing change, of being change. It's not all about us, but it's all about his empowerment. Absolutely. Yeah, I, as, as I'm sure many Christians experience, it can be very easy to continue to think in terms of flesh and blood, this, this battle that we're uh, fighting, however you want to put that, um, the different issues that we're butting up against in culture, to think that this is down to me, it's up to me what God is going to do, and if I don't do this, somehow God's kingdom is going to fail. And that's obviously the wrong perspective, because Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven, he breathed on his disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that was the birth of the church, or the birth of the church happened at Pentecost a little while later. And that is what Jesus has left on earth uh, as as the people to continue his kingdom. Is It's not some kind of spirit floating around somewhere. It's not just an idea out there. It's actually people. It is people that God wants to empower. And the call for Christians is to be part of that called out people, to be part of the church, the body of Christ now on earth, who he fills by his spirit and who he empowers to love and to bring transformation and to be salt and light. So I love that you've asked that question to wrap up, Neil, because if we try to do this in our own strength, if we try to live out the values of Christ without knowing him or without being empowered by him, then it's going to fail. But if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and continually uh, cultivating our relationship with him and living out of that relationship, then I believe we can see incredible transformation in our own lives, in the lives of our family, our immediate friends, 
our neighbourhoods and and the rest of the world. So that's that's something I'm very passionate about. And uh, yeah, I'm very thankful to be able to share about this book with you today. Well, Kurt, I want to encourage listeners to get a hold of your book. If listeners were to order your book today, would they get it before Christmas? I think some might be thinking, well, this is the sort of book I could give to, you know, that particular member of my family who would really appreciate something that's deep and uh, and understands something of the context of where we find ourselves. Uh, is it, is, it is absolutely available right now in bookstores, is it, Kurt? It's available. It, Kuron will stock it soon. They don't have it in store yet, but it is on their website. So you can order online through Kuron. The best way to get the book would be to jump on my own website. Um, if you were to just search Cross Culture and then also search my name. Uh, my surname's hard to spell, but if you can spell my first name, Kurt, K-U-R-T. So Cross and Culture, Kurt. I've tried that in a few search engines, and that should get you where you need to go. So you can buy the book. If you want to secure your copy by Christmas, I would suggest strongly that you uh, choose Express Post, uh, because I know that Australia Post is overwhelmed this time of year. So if you were to jump on today, uh, maybe even tomorrow morning, and choose Express Post, I would suggest there's a fairly good chance it will get to you by Christmas. I probably can't make any promises, but I'll absolutely do my best. Hey, it is late in the year, but I know that there'll be some listeners saying, I need to get a hold of that book. Uh, You're a clear thinker. You're a clear writer, I might say, too, having read the book. It is deep enough to challenge your thinking, and it is simple enough to be able to really devour in a significant way. It is a wonderful book that sets a context that makes some claims, that gives you some history and that prescribes the possibilities for what can come into the future. And let me say, uh, this is how you get it. Simply Google, as Kurt says, cross and culture Kurt. If you get that K-U-R-T on there as well, uh, it'll come up. Kurt Molberg's uh, website, which is Kurt blog, and you'll be able to order the book there and uh, as Kurt says order it express post and uh, let's hope for the best in getting that before Christmas uh, if you're not desperate to have it before Christmas and you don't mind getting it a little after order that book today and uh, make the most of the opportunity because uh, often as you know once you stop talking about these things out of mind out of sight and so uh, the idea of uh, ordering today is good Kurt blog. The book is called Cross and Culture, Can Jesus Save the West? Now, let me mention also the website for Canberra Declaration, canberradeclaration.org. And uh, as Kurt said, he's the editor of a whole lot of the uh, releases that come from the Canberra Declaration. You can catch up with all sorts of things that they'd say even every day. And look out for uh, that book when you're visiting uh, those booksellers like Kurong. Look for Cross and Culture, Can Jesus Save the West? Kurt, thanks so much for taking some time to share these thoughts and uh, your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.